This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. Stay tuned for our bulletin of church news, which will be followed by Panorama, and then our feature development and the economy. We shall close with a reflection on this coming Sunday's gospel passage. I am Johnny Baptist Tumusime. On Friday, Pope Francis received an audience participants at the International Conference on Man-Woman Image of God towards an Anthropology of Vocations, organized by the Center for Research in the Anthropology of Vocations. Because the Pope is still unwell, his speech was read by an official of the Vatican Secretariat of State, Monsignor Filippo Ciampanelli. Before that, the Holy Father, however, apologized not for reading the speech, stating that he is still suffering from a cold that makes him tired when he reads. In off-the-cuff observations about the meeting, he said the meeting comes at the right time because today the ugliest danger is gender ideology, whose tendency is to erase differences and make everything the same. Erasing differences, he said, is erasing humanity. In the official written speech, the Pope appreciated the aim of the conference, which is to consider and enhance the anthropological dimension of every vocation. He said this refers to an elementary and fundamental truth that the life of the human being is a vocation or a call by God. Man and woman, the Pope said, are created by God and are the image of the Creator. They carry within themselves the desire for eternity and happiness that God himself has sown in their hearts and which they are called to realize through a specific vocation. We are called to happiness, to the fullness of life, to something great to which God has destined us, the Pope said. The life of each of us, without exception, he added, is not an accident. Our existence in the world is not a mere fruit of chance, but we are part of a plan of love, and we are invited to come out of ourselves and realize this plan for ourselves and for others. For this reason, each of us has a mission that is we are called to offer our own contribution to improve the world and shape society. The Pope thanked the participants at the conference for their research studies, which he said are very important, to create awareness about the vocation to which every human being is called by God in different states of life. The Holy See released early this week Pope Francis's prayer intention for the month of March. In it, the Holy Father calls for prayers for those who are persecuted and even killed for being followers of Christ, whom he calls martyrs of our day, witnesses to Christ. Francesca Melo filed the following report. 
Introducing his prayer intention for the month of March, Pope Francis decides to share with us a story which he says is a reflection of the Church today and one that is the story of a little-known witness of faith. He recalls the story of a widowed man when he visited a refugee camp in Lesbos. The man, a Muslim, recounted the harrowing story of how his wife, who was Christian, was asked by terrorists to throw a crucifix to the ground. She didn't do it, and they slit her throat in front of me, the man told the Pope. Pope Francis notes that this man held no grudges and was instead focused on his wife's example of love, a love for Christ that led her to accept and to be faithful to the point of death. The Holy Father emphasizes that there will always be martyrs among us, as the courage and the witness of martyrs is a blessing for everyone. In fact, the Pope continues, I have been told that there are more martyrs today than at the beginning of Christianity. Thus, Pope Francis invites all the faithful to pray for those who risk their lives for the gospel all over the world, that they might imbue the church with their courage and missionary drive and be open to the grace of martyrdom. In its press release accompanying this month's prayer intention, the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network notes that in 2023 alone, aid to the church in need received reports in 40 countries of people who were assassinated or sequestered because of their faith. Nigeria has become the country with the highest number of assassinations. In Pakistan, in the Diocese of Faisalabad, the churches and homes of the Christians in Jaranwala were attacked. And in Burkina Faso, Catholics in Debe were expelled from their village solely because of their faith. I'm Francesca Merlo. The preacher of the papal household, Cardinal Aniero Cantaramessa, delivered his second Lenten sermon for members of the Vatican Curia on Friday. Reflecting on the theme, I am the light of the world, from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Cardinal Cantalamessa explained that these words said by Jesus Christ have two fundamental meanings. The first meaning is that Jesus is the supreme and definitive revelation of God to humanity. And the second meaning is that Jesus reveals the world to itself by shedding light on all things. The Cardinal explained further that Christ invites us not to be of this world because the world as we have it is different from the world created and loved by God. Today's world is characterized by selfishness, but the world created and loved by God was characterized by love. Jesus Christ came to this world, the Cardinal said, to restore the love of God to the world, a love that was contaminated by sin. The main cause of conformity to the world, he added, is the crisis of faith. It is through faith that a disciple of Christ is in the world, but not of the world. Understood in a moral sense, he went on, the world is those who refuse to believe. The Bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Uwahiguya in Burkina Faso, the Right Reverend Justin Kientega, has told reporters that despite the persecution the Christian community continues to face in the country, the church continues to preach the good news of Christ. Referring to recent attacks by Islamic militants which displaced people, he said those who have taken refuge in towns are being helped through Caritas and continue to receive the sacraments. He noted that Caritas was helping the displaced people without discrimination of religion to get out of poverty because poverty is one of the fertile grounds that attract people to join terrorist groups. Bishop Kientega said the presence of the Catholic Church in the midst of the troubles in Burkina Faso is a sign of hope for many people, 
and is appreciated by other faith groups, especially the leaders of the African traditional religion. You are tuned to the English African Service of Vatican Radio. African News Panorama Zambia's President Hagarinde Hijirema has declared a national disaster in order to tackle the prolonged drought that is affecting the country. Addressing the nation on Thursday afternoon, Hijirema said 84 districts out of a total of 116 were affected. Zambia has been experiencing poor rain with fears mounting that the country may experience hunger and struggle to meet its electricity demands as most of its energy is from water sources. Water levels at Kariba Dam, which Zambia and neighboring Zimbabwe use for hydroelectricity, had fallen to about 11.5% of usable storage as of last December. The president said the drought would affect the generation of more than 450 megawatts of power. He said almost half of the land used for planting crops had been affected by the dry spell. The United Kingdom will pay at least £370 million to Rwanda as part of its plan to relocate asylum seekers there. The government's spending watchdog has revealed up to £150,000 will also be paid for each person sent to the East African country over a five-year period. Under the five-year deal, the United Kingdom would be able to send individuals who arrive in the country illegally to Rwanda to claim asylum there. The aim of the policy is to deter people from crossing the English Channel in small boats, something Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has made one of his key priorities. The state-run electricity company of Ghana on Thursday cut power supplies to the parliament over a date of 23 million Ghanaian CD, an equivalent of 1.8 million United States dollars. The outage interrupted a debate on the president's state of the nation speech. Local media reported that a backup power generator restored power to the chamber a few minutes later. Electricity was restored later in the day after Parliament paid 13 million CD and made a pledge to settle the remaining debt within a week. A military court in Somalia has sentenced six Islamic State fighters from Morocco to death. The men will be executed by a firing squad if their appeal, which they have one month to file, is unsuccessful. The military court also gave an Ethiopian and a Somali 10-year prison sentences each while freeing another Somali defendant due to insufficient evidence. Somalia typically issues the death penalty for crimes connected to terrorism. The practice has been condemned by several local and international human rights groups, including the Coalition of Somali Human Rights Defenders. You are tuned to the Daily Africa Service of Vatican Radio. This is Development and Economy, and you are welcome to the program. My name is Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. First March this year marks the 25th anniversary of the ratification of the Ant-Personnel Mines Convention. Ant-Personnel Mines are also referred to as landmines, which are used defensively to protect strategic areas such as borders, camps, or important bridges and to restrict the movement of opposing forces. The explosive weapons are used by concealing them under 
or camouflaged on the ground and their key characteristic is that they are designed to maim rather than kill an enemy soldier. The 1997 Convention on the Prohibition of the Use, Stockpiling, Production and Transfer of Ant Personnel Mines and on their destruction is the international agreement that bans ant personnel land mines. It is usually referred to as the Ottawa Convention or the Ant-Personnel Mine Ban Treaty, which was ratified in 1999. Pope Francis used his brief words at the end of the audience this week to mark the 25th anniversary of the ratification of the Ant-Personnel Mines Convention. In his remarks, he expressed his closeness to the numerous victims of these insidious devices that he said remind us of the dramatic cruelty of war. He also had words of gratitude for all those who work to demine contaminated land and assist landmine victims, noting the fact that their work is a concrete response to the universal call to be peacemakers. The Halo Trust is a humanitarian mine clearing organization that helps with the clearance of landmines and other unexploded ordinances. It does this in order to support populations that have been left behind at the end of a conflict. Colum Peebles is head of region for Central Asia for the Halo Trust, which now operates in over 30 countries. Speaking to Vatican Radio's Francesca Melo, Peebles laments the fact that landmines are unfortunately a scourge on other countries where they exist. Pope Francis prayed for demining and for all personnel that works in demining. And this prayer came ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Anti-Personnel Landmines Convention. Can you tell us a bit about this convention? Well, yeah, of course. That convention is one of the most successful in history. Um, and it really marks the start of a change from what was really military mine clearance to what exists today in which the Halo Trust operates which is humanitarian mine clearance, which is the clearance of landmines and other unexploded ordnance to support humanitarian populations who have been left behind after a conflict ends. It's a founding uh, treaty which enables the work of HALO to do what we do, um, and there is plenty to do. Uh, we are now operating in over 30 countries uh, where, unfortunately, we have to continue to clear landmines and other unexploded ordnance. There are many countries that are members of the UN Security Council that have still not signed the convention. Um, some of these are world powers, and I'm thinking of Russia, and I'm thinking of the US. Would you like to comment on this? I mean, that's a good question, Francesca, but for HALO, we are really focused on the people in those countries where conflict has existed, those people, those families and, and, and children that are trying to build a life and a livelihood after conflict has ended. Landmines are a scourge on all those countries where they exist. And what we're trying to do is clear places like clinics and schools where ground has been fought over and where explosive items litter the ground and end up causing injury and death to men, women and children, more often than not. Are children and women and families and communities that are trying to uh, regain their lives, are they what we can horrifically describe as collateral damage of the mines or are the mines aimed at them as well? The mines are certainly not aimed at them. Mines are generally used for mili in a military context. But HALO uh, see routinely that uh, men, women and children who are civilians um, are, are often the victims uh, of landmines. In Afghanistan, there have been 3,000 civilian casualties in the last three years. Over half of them have been children. Now, this is likely to be an un unreported figure. 
So it is very much the case that what HALO is doing is clearing landmines in support of civilian populations. I'll give you an example. In Afghanistan, there's a huge number, millions of people who are trying to resettle in the country. And, uh, and even in those areas where they're resettling, they find uh, landmines or other unexploded ordnance, the bombs, the bullets that are used during conflict. HALO is often clearing those items up in order to help people resettle. I was in Afghanistan just last week, and, and not long before that, I was visiting a school in Kandahar, in the south of the country, and HALO was clearing those landmines while at the same time over a thousand children were using the school building every single day. And that is not dissimilar to another situation in, in a clinic where some 300 families were using the services, the maternity services, the malnutrition support at a local clinic in Ghazni province. And that, again, was a site that had been fought over and where there were landmines which caused, I think, seven accidents in the past five years or so. So landmines themselves are a weapon of war and the halo trust exists to clear them up. And what we do is we employ local communities. So we provide jobs to those individuals who might not have any uh, employment options. And we train them to conduct clearance of those items all over the world, from Afghanistan to Cambodia to Zimbabwe. You've mentioned different regions. How do landmines and other explosive devices change from region to region? And how do you then apply, uh, I suppose, adapted uh, processes of demining to each, to each uh, specific case? Francesca, broadly speaking, HALO remains at the highest standard. So we, we conduct training for all of our staff so they are able to clear the ordinance which exists in the country where they're working. So we will never put our staff at risk. We will always ensure that they are prepared and protected to conduct this work. There, of course, are different items which are, are being used and conflict evolves. And so HALO needs to evolve with it in order to make sure that the skills that we have are appropriate. We use a number of different methods to clear landmines, and that might involve a person, a team of people using metal detectors or simple gardening tools almost to a certain extent. But then we also use heavy mechanical equipment to clear urban environments, for example. And we are increasingly seeing the use of drones to help us really pinpoint where there is a threat to the human population. How many people die from landmines every year? I wish I could tell you, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I have it. The, the, the challenge that we have is that in many countries, civilian casualties go underreported. And I mentioned in Afghanistan recently, there were 3,000 civilian casualties in the last three years. Well, those are the ones that we know about. Often, landmines and unexploded ordnance is affecting those populations living in very rural areas. And so it's very hard to, to get an accurate picture on it. But the, the real problem we have is that if there is a landmine, let's say in a, in a large field, and you know that it's in a large field, you want to use that to farm, for example, just a single landmine can restrict your ability to use a, a huge area of land. So just one landmine will have an effect on the livelihood of an entire family. And the places where we work, Francesca, are those places where food insecurity is so bad that families are either living in food poverty or they are taking the risk of using land where they know there is a threat. Where I'm working in Afghanistan or where I've been uh, to recently, there is, a, there is a, a negative coping strategy where families who have no other alternative means of employment will collect scrap metal and they will sell that on for cash. But that scrap metal in a place like Afghanistan often is actually 
an item of unexploded ordnance and so extremely dangerous. So what we see is children and women going out and collecting scrap metal. And when they're doing so, they are injuring or killing themselves as a result. And what we're trying to do is educate the population about the dangers of, of touching unfamiliar metal items like that. And then, of course, trying to clear those items themselves. So our teams will go out and conduct a rapid sort of assessment and then, uh, and then destroy items that cause a threat to the population. So your work isn't only in the active clearance of mines, but it's also uh, educational, so to say. In many countries, the, the scale of the work that, that we need to deal with is so massive that we can't possibly get out and clear everything. So uh, routinely, we will have teams of people who will go and visit communities and have sessions with all the members of that, that community to explain what to do if, if a certain item is found. So we're educating them about the risk of those explosive items. Colin Peebles, head of region for Central Asia for the Halo Trust Humanitarian Landmine Clearing Company, speaking with Vatican Radio's Francesca Mello about the work of his organization. And that is all we have time for in this edition of Development and the Economy. Until next week at the same time, my name is Kanyan Tagodifri Kampamba. Coming up next, a reflection on this Sunday's readings, prepared and presented by Father Enobong Udaidiong. The third Sunday of Lent presents us with the invitation to know the commandments of God and to observe them. Through the Ten Commandments given by God to Moses, God has put before his chosen people his expectations of them. These laws have been summarized by Christ into the two great commandments, the love of God and the love of our neighbor. When we talk of keeping the commandments of God, there is no one that can be said to be perfect. Therefore, at the close of the day, before retiring to bed, it is recommended that we examine our conscience to see how we have lived our day in relation to God and our neighbor. It is a wholesome practice which helps us fine-tune our relationship with God at the close of the day, an opportunity to ask for divine assistance to do better in our earthly struggle. The commandments of God as taught by Christ demonstrates God's revelation of himself to his chosen people, inviting them to remain in his love. The commandments present the covenant God enters with each one of us. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, the Ten Commandments put out the conditions of a life freed from the slavery to sin. It is a path of life that leads us to God. God wants us to be free and this freedom entails responsibility on our part. Therefore, God's commandments are our guiding principles in life. We cannot disregard them and then feel we can still please Him. The fear of the Lord is what we need in order to obey his commands. It is not the fear of punishment, nor is it the fear of damnation. No, it is rather the fear that is motivated by the love God first has for us. His love made him allow his only son to be crucified for our sin, 
so that we might be reconciled to him. His commandments are not meant to punish us, rather they are perfect, revive the soul. They are steadfast, give wisdom to the simple. They are right, gladden the heart, and give light to the eyes. They are more to be desired than gold. When we look at our world today, we hear people taunting and criticizing the church for her teachings on morality. The world seeks rights for everything except the right to obey divine laws put in place by God for the good of humanity. The church, the custodian of these moral laws, cannot shy away from speaking against human actions that contradict these laws. Following the steps of Christ, the zeal for the holiness of life should consume us as his chosen people. I do not think God will make laws. He knows will bring about the destruction of human race. What we see today is so pathetic, but God's grace is still with us. God's laws are not impositions. They are made in love and are governed by love and should be obeyed in love. Because love is the nature of God himself. Hence, the greatest commandment is the love of God and the love of our neighbor. What are those things we do that outrightly contradicts God's commandments? Does it make sense that we can claim to know the world better than the God who created it? We see people who are claiming that God made mistake about them and so they have the right to change God's creation to suit their desires. We must not forget that we are his handiwork. He made us, we belong to him. The best we can do in this Lenten season is to purge ourselves of our sins and return in humility to God, acknowledging Him as our Lord and God, who brought us out of slavery to sin into His own wonderful light. Christian faith and morals have never been against the progress of humanity. Neither should we see God's commandments as burdensome. I will prefer we see the commandments of God as a loving father's safety rules for his children. God, through the commandments, invites us to abide in his love and through it, love our neighbor. We pray for the grace to be faithful to this. May the message of Christ in all its richness continue to find a home in our hearts through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace be with you. That was a reflection by Father Enobong Odaidiong from Nigeria. You have been listening to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio and I am Johnny Baptist Tumusime. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature The World Around Us. Praise be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.